It would be an alarming thing for you to find yourself in the shoes, or I guess I should say in the sandals of the Apostle Peter and John uh, in the scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. Now, what has happened in Peter's life and John's life is they've had this incredible day of ministry. They were on the way to pray. And they see this man who's unable to walk, and he's been put there to beg for money. And this is the part of the scripture that's just miraculous and awesome and powerful and life-transforming. Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I have you, I'm willing to give you. In the name of Jesus, I tell you, stand up and walk. And this guy stands up. And obviously, if you had been there, uh, you would be interested in what was happening. And that was true for those people. Everybody gathered around. And this guy who was 40 years old and had never been able to walk, he's like holding on to John and Peter. Everybody's gathering around. And Peter just begins to preach the gospel. Talks about how Jesus uh, is the one who's done this work of God, is ministering to the people But there are some people who get annoyed by this. And the the problem is these are the powerful people with all the authority at that time. And scripture says not only were they annoyed, but they actually seized these men, Peter and John, laid hands on them and brought them to jail. And so just try to imagine, if you could, a day starting out so incredibly wonderful. Everything is going great. You're serving God. You're ministering to people. People's lives are being changed. And you end up somehow, some way, in jail. I mean, that would, that would just strike me. Like, God, I thought I was doing something great for you. Why did you let this happen to me? type of thing, type of thought. Well, I'm sharing this with you because I want you to understand that is what has happened when we pick up in Acts chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I hope that you've been able to find Acts chapter 4. If you're a guest today, we welcome you. We love you. We invite you to come back. If you're new to the Bible or new to the Christian faith, that's totally fine because I'm going to be reading the scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, Uh, and you want one printed, not digitally, we would love to give you a copy of the Bible. And that goes for you who are here or those of you who might be online with us. We have Bibles here. We would love to invest the Word of God into your life. It's that important. Uh, And so if you are a guest, every week we study a specific passage of the Scripture. And we want to do two things. We want to really learn about what's happening in the scripture, but we also want it not just to teach us something, but to transform our life a little bit. We want to understand how to be a better follower of Jesus, having studied the word of God. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Acts chapter 4. So Peter and John healed a guy through the power of Jesus. Peter has been preaching the gospel. They annoy some people in authority Uh, priests and Sadducees, they lay their hands on them, drag them to jail, and put them in jail for the night. Verse 5 happens when the sun comes up the next day. It says, on the next day, their rulers and their elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. That just means 
all the who's who's and all the people who had all the power in Jerusalem at the time, they were all there. Imagine this being you. All of the powerful people are gathering and you're about to go stand in front of them because you had been thrown in jail the night before. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? Now, let me pause here. We'll come back to it in a second. Let me just explain so that we all understand what's happening. Peter and John are standing before this council. And they ask Peter and John, by what name, by what power, by what authority do you do this work? And Peter is happy to answer that question. Because any chance Peter has to brag on Jesus, he takes it. And and he says it so clearly and powerfully that these powerful people, these people of authority are astounded, astonished. So much so that they don't know what their next move is going to be. And so they call a timeout. They say, timeout. Okay, Peter and John, thank you for your response. What I need for you is to go out in the hallway so that we can talk amongst ourselves. So they get out in the hallway and these leaders go, what are we going to do now? They don't know what to do. They, they, they thought, they didn't know what to think. But, but this, these people with great boldness, they're looking at them going, they don't have theological degrees. They haven't been to seminary. They don't have a PhD in New Testament studies. These are uneducated, common people. But they just blew us away. What are we going to do with them? That's where we're at. That's what's happening in the scripture. It says they, they saw his boldness and that they, were, uh, they perceived they were uneducated common men. So pick up back with me in verse 15. But they, they had commanded them to leave the council. They conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. How awesome is that? We can't deny what's happened here today. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak anymore in this name. And so they called them and they charged them, charged them 
wasn't advising, wasn't asking. This is a very powerful and usually legal term. Charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because of the people. For everybody was praising God for what would happen, what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Father, as we think about your word today, we ask that you help us to think about it clearly. And we don't necessarily ask God, what does it mean to me? We ask, what do you intend for it to mean? Help us, Lord, to know how to not only learn something today, but to apply it to our life. We desire to leave a better follower of you, more deeply in love with you, better equipped for the Christian life in today's culture and today's context so that you might use us in a mighty way in this town and in this county and in this state and in this world. Help us, O oh God. We plead with you to transform our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the point of this message this morning is for us to understand that there are times in our life when Christianity is not popular. And I love it when I preach the gospel and people are clapping and applauding and exciting and, and I'm saying something that from the scripture and the word of God and people are like nodding and smiling and yes and yes and yes. But listen, there are times where I have to deliver the gospel and, and the biblical truth of the scripture in context where people aren't smiling and people aren't clapping and in fact they stand against the gospel. And you, I don't have to teach you this. You know this. If you love Jesus and you're seeking to walk with Jesus in this modern era, it's the same as it was for Peter and John. There are people in our lives who are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you, you may find them in different places than I find them. For some of us, we are concerned because we have family members that oppose the gospel. And we're trying to figure out how to navigate that in a daily life where I live with someone who doesn't love the Lord and not only doesn't love the Lord, but does not appreciate the fact that I do. There are people here right now who face that on a day-to-day -day basis, loving God, but being in the house, married to, or, or, or perhaps it's a child who is doesn't love God, and you're trying to think to yourself, how do I navigate that? For some of you, it's your job. And for some of you, you love the Lord, but you work for a supervisor who is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are forever wanting to say something about God, but afraid that if you mention the name of Jesus, your supervisor will find out, and you will pay the price. So for some of us, we're worried about state and local government. And we're thinking to ourselves, will we ever be persecuted as people who stand for biblical truth and stand before the authorities and have to give a response? So there's a lot of different ways that this reality in Acts chapter 4 might land for us. 
And if you have your notes in front of you, you see we want to make three observations or three points about this to prepare us, whether it's in your house or at your job or the governmental level. What do we do when our faith, when our faith is not popular in that moment, in that time, in that culture, in that spot? What do we do? I want to share with you a couple of thoughts. The first one is this. Uh, This morning, if you're making notes, would you write down, if you have been with Jesus, you are prepared. I want to encourage you this morning. If you have been in the presence of God, if you have been with Jesus, you're prepared. That's what the scripture says about Peter and John. I, I mentioned a moment ago, they didn't have theological degrees. They weren't the smartest tack in the drawer. They didn't have PhD in biblical studies. They hadn't even really been at this Christianity thing very long. And, 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 and what's interesting is that these people in authority, all of these powerful people, that they don't say anything other than, man, these people have been with Jesus. And really, what better compliment than to be known after somebody interacts with you for the very first time There's a person who's been walking with Jesus. If you have been with Jesus, you are prepared. Now you may say, prepared for what? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're prepared to stand before any human being on planet earth. Peter and John, they weren't powerful figures. They weren't they weren't perfect people by any stretch of the means. I mean, my goodness, you read the Gospels and they mess up more than they get it right. And even when you look in the Gospels, you see sometimes they didn't really understand who Jesus was at all times. But they were with Jesus, and when that moment came, they were prepared. They were prepared to stand before any human And I think that's an important principle for us. Because when we live our lives and as we operate in the different spaces that we operate, for some of you it's at college, for some of you it's at school, for some of you it's in your home, for some of you it's at your job. Listen, we are going to encounter people who are hostile to the gospel. But if you've been with Jesus... You're prepared to stand before him. Not only are you prepared to stand before any human, you're prepared to speak truth. I think this is an important point that I want to dissect a little bit. I want to unpack a little bit. I want to share a little bit more. Because as you see what Peter said, I think it's important for us to really dissect what his message was. Now, it wasn't long. And it wasn't that he was preaching a sermon. I mean, he, he was being investigated. He was being examined. And they say, by what name or what power do you do this? And Peter basically is prepared because he'd been with Jesus. He was ready to speak truth. And we see him speak through three types of truth. First, he testifies. And it, he says it so brilliantly. Look with me back if you would. Let's go back in the scripture. Look in verse, look in verse 8. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, means when you get put in tough, difficult situations and circumstances in your life, whether it be public or private, you can be sure of this. God will meet you there. 
Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what he said. Rulers and people of Israel, elders, if I am being, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you whole, well, put together, healed, and restored. He testified because he had been with Jesus. He was bold and prepared to testify. And that moment, the reality is that moment, you never know when you're going to have that moment to testify. For some of you, it's when you're with a client or a customer and God opens the door. For some of you, it's when you're outside mowing your lawn or shoveling snow or whatever the weather's going to be like this week. We don't know. But your neighbor comes out and says something and you have a chance to to testify. Because he had been with Jesus, he was ready to speak the truth and testimony. He was ready also to teach to these men. He said, the the stone that you rejected as builders has become the cornerstone. Now, I'm not much into construction, so I had to study to understand this. So if this is you as well, totally okay. But when you read, what do you mean the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Here's what that means. So pretend that you're in construction and you're going to build a building. And let's call that building the kingdom of God. And you're going to look at all of these stones and say, what are we going to use to build the kingdom of God? And you pick up a stone and it says Jesus of Nazareth. And you look at that stone and you think to yourself, you know what? This is trash to me. I don't think I'm going to use this. And you throw it into the dumpster. This is what Peter's saying. The stone that the builders rejected in building the kingdom of God has become the cornerstone. Now, what is a cornerstone? Well, it just happens to be the most important stone in a building. It sets the edge. It makes sure everything's perfect. The cornerstone is like the most important stone in a building. And what Peter is teaching, he's testifying, he's saying, look, if you're asking me what happened with this guy, Jesus happened to this guy. And oh, by the way, let me tell you about this Jesus. He's the stone that you guys threw away, but he's actually the most important component. He's the cornerstone to the kingdom of God. And he's the one you crucified. And he's the one that God raised from the dead. So right there, Peter is talking about construction and relating to them the importance of Jesus. And so he testifies and he teaches, but you know what else he does? He evangelizes. Now, hear this. He is being investigated. He is under examination. Like they are really putting the pressure on him. They have assembled every powerful and important person that they could possibly bring together. And they put them in this like mostly circle, kind of semicircle. And then they bring in Peter and John and they put them right in the middle. They're trying to make him sweat. And they say, tell us by what power you do this. And Peter speaks. And you know what he ends up doing? He ends up evangelizing. He ends up telling them that they not only did Jesus do something great for this man, but that they themselves need Jesus. 
So verse 11 talks about the the stone that was rejected by the builders and become the capstone. But look at verse 12. And I really, it's important, I guess for me, for me it's important that I know that you hear this verse. It's important for me to be confident that you leave today having really read and comprehended verse 12. Here's, Here's what Peter says. And there is salvation in no one else. Peter says there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I lay out before you a very simple biblical truth. There is one way to be saved and that's through Jesus. Now I know that we have friends and family and even some of us perhaps struggle with what we call the exclusivity of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And either you may have heard or you may have adopted this viewpoint for yourself. Yeah, but if, if somebody is a, another faith or another belief system or another spirituality or another religion, as long as they are sincere about that faith, that should be good enough. I just want to say to you, with all compassion, Peter disagrees. He says that no one will be saved unless it's by the name of Jesus. And so what do we do with the sincerity of people's faith who isn't with Jesus? Here's what I would say to you. People can be sincerely wrong. And I don't say that to startle you or anger you. I say that because eternity is a long time and it's very important. And if Peter is making the claim that the only avenue into the kingdom of God is through Jesus, I think we need to take that very seriously. And as the under-shepherd here at the church, I want to be faithful to lay out for you this very clear thing that Peter says. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which people will be saved. And he was prepared to say that because he had been with Jesus. And again, in verse 8, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, it says they had recognized that he had been with Jesus. And so we might be thinking, what is the effect of that? He was prepared because he had been with Jesus. Uh, He was prepared to stand before anyone. He was prepared to speak words of truth. He was prepared to interact with people who were hostile to the gospel message. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the message. Some of you interact with on a, on a regular basis, if not a daily basis. Some of you watching online interact with people who are hostile to the gospel. So you understand. You understand the intensity of that moment. You understand the tension of that moment. You understand that this isn't just something that we're reading off a page. This is something that happens in real life. For some of you, again, it's in your household. For some of you, again, your perception is that you have people at your job who 
who want to hear nothing about the gospel of Christ. And for some of you, you look at our leadership, our local, our state, our government, our federal government, whoever, and you just think there are people who want to silence the gospel. How do I deal with that? Well, the first thing is to understand this. Until you are really walking with Jesus, you're not prepared. What qualified Peter and what empowered him was that he had been with Jesus. That's the first thing that we, that we study and that we learn. The second thing that we study is about the man who had been healed. A transformed life is a powerful life. I say that to you as a word of encouragement to you today. Because some of us in here think to ourselves, I don't have eloquent speech. I don't think I'm going to show up to my job tomorrow and punch in and stand up on my desk and say, rulers of Israel and elders, let me preach the gospel to you. That would be kind of awkward. Now, to be clear, if God tells you to do it, do it. But I acknowledge with you that will be awkward. And so you're thinking to yourself, what can I do that really makes a mark? What can I do that, that impacts people for eternity? I want to encourage you by telling you this. If your life has been transformed by the power of God, your life is powerful. And I know that sometimes like our life feels mundane for us. And we think to ourselves, well, I do this, the boring old thing every day. I wake up and get ready for the day and go do my thing. And then I think about coming home and what am I going to have for dinner? And I get home and I either eat dinner or make dinner happy or whatever. And I just go to sleep or watch TV. And I just do the same thing over and over and over. And, and I don't really know that my life is counting. Listen to me when I tell you that if your life has been transformed by God, your life is powerful. Two ways in the scripture we see that this transformed life is a powerful life. Look with me, if you would, back into the scripture. If you're, still look, if you're wondering where we're at, we're in Acts chapter 4. If you just jumped online with us, we're studying in Acts chapter 4. Second point, the transformed life is a powerful life. Look with me in verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed... Standing beside them. Now, quiz. Did this man say anything that we know of? No. He didn't even speak at the examination. He's just standing there in their presence, whole and healed and transformed by the power of God. And when they're standing in front of these people of authority, it says, but seeing the man who had been healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The very fact that this man had his life transformed and was standing in the presence of people who were opponents to the gospel of Christ silenced the critics. What that means for you is that there are times where people are going to see you more than they hear you. Now, I'm not saying don't share the gospel. I'm not saying don't be verbal with your faith in Jesus. I'm not saying don't go public with your vocal cords. But what I am saying to you is this. If the power of Jesus has transformed your life, whether you acknowledge it or know it or even comprehend it, people are watching and they are being impacted by your transformed life. I want you to know that. Whether it's on your block, at your house, at your job, at your school, 
wherever it is, people are watching your transformed life. That's how we know that it's powerful. The other way that we know that it's powerful is because the scripture says the result of this healing, the result of God at work in this person's life was that people were praising God. In fact, look with me, if you would, here in, in verses 18 through 20. It says, uh, excuse me, in, in verse 21. I gave you the wrong scripture. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. This man had been transformed by God. And because he had been transformed by the power of God, Other people were praising God because of it. How awesome of a thought is that? That if people look at my life and they see it transformed, they see it go from death to life, from wretched to living for Jesus, from rebelling to obedience to Christ, if they see that in your life, the the tendency won't be to give me credit because I don't have the power to transform my life. God does. And when people see that God has transformed my life or people see that God has transformed your life, they're going to praise God. A transformed life is a powerful life. It's a powerful life. Now, to this point, all positive. We've, we've made the point that if you have been with Jesus, you're prepared. You can stand before people. You, you're ready to tell the truth about what you've seen and heard. If your life has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus, then, then your life is a powerful life. But sometimes all of that stuff together, the sum total, you take it and add it or you take it and multiply it and you put all of that powerful stuff together and it's still not enough. Because sometimes, no matter what, the gospel gets persecuted. It gets persecuted. It gets prohibited. It gets assaulted. And we know that because we see the scripture. Now, look with me if you would. Starting in verses 15 through 17. Here's the word of God. When they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For, for that a, a great sign has been performed through them is evident to all, and we cannot deny it. So first understand they are acknowledging that God was at work through Peter and John. But in order that it may spread no further, second point to acknowledge, although they knew it was truth, they still wanted it to stop. Let that register. We'll pause for a second. Let that sink into your heart. They knew it was true and they still wanted to stop it. Now, it's one thing if you just disagree with what had happened. It's one thing if if all of these powerful people came together and they were debating on whether or not something authentic, something miraculous had happened. It'd be one thing if they came to the conclusion, no, we have to stop this because this is not real. This is not accurate. It's not what happened. These powerful people, these people in authority got together behind closed doors and they say, we know this is real, but we have to stop it. 
That's what happens in verse 15. Verse 16. Look at verse 17. In order that it may spread no further, we'll warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And so they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all. They knew it was true, but they didn't want it to spread. Why? Because sometimes people understand the truthfulness of something, but because it threatens their existence and their power and their ability to be in control, they oppose it, even though they know it's true. Folks, this is unfolding right here in front of our eyes in the scripture. I mean, it is as clear as it could be. These are religious, powerful people who are seeking to stop something that they know is authentic. And in secret, behind closed doors, they're saying, we've got to stop this from spreading. So they bring in these bold men for Christ And they warn them, don't do this anymore. Now, that's, that gets nowhere. Look with me in verse 18. They called him, they charged him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. What he's saying, that sentence is ordered in a way that we don't, that's not in our regular speaking patterns. Here's what he's saying. You decide what you have to do. You, he says, you be the judge. He said, look, obviously you're in authority. Obviously you're in a position of power. Whether or not we should listen to you or we should listen to God, you're gonna have to be the judge. What, they, what he's saying is, you do whatever you have to do. But look at the second part of that sentence. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And Peter says, he, he doesn't say we shouldn't stop. He doesn't say that we'll pray about this. He doesn't say let me and John get off to the side and really discern and think about whether or not we should just move on. He says, we can't stop. You do what you have to do. You be the judge. You take whatever action you have to take, but let's be clear, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We are eyewitnesses to the manifest power of God on planet earth. And if you want to suppress that, then you might try. You might put us in jail. You might take our money. You might beat our bodies. You might restrict us. You might hurt us. You might even take our life, but we cannot stop speaking the truth. Wow. You know who understood this was John the Baptist. Another biblical example of this point that we're looking at this morning. You know, a lot of us know John the Baptist is kind of this interesting, mysterious figure. He shows up and he's out in the wilderness preaching. Now, if you've ever planted a church or started a ministry, the wilderness is an odd place to start. But he goes out into the wilderness and and God is at work because people are flocking out to him and he's ministering. He's preparing people for the coming of Jesus. 
And he's a very interesting figure. He wears camel hair. He eats wild locusts. You know, who, who wakes up thinking, I think I'll have me a bowl of wild locusts. This guy's a strange and mysterious guy. But he's also so blessed. He is the one who baptized Jesus. If you're new to the faith or you're new to church, those, those are important things. Like John the Baptist is an important figure in the Christian faith. Did you know that after he baptized Jesus, he got arrested and spent the rest of his life in jail? Actually died in jail. You know why? Because he spoke biblical truth to the powers that be and they put him in jail. There was a ruler who was living in sexual sin. And John the Baptist spoke on it. And he said, this is wrong. And he spoke biblical truth and it cost him his freedom and ultimately cost him his life. The the, the point that I'm making is this. This isn't just one time in the scripture that this occurs. It happens over and over and over again. So the question is, how can I be prepared? What do I do in my world when the gospel is not popular, whether it's at school for you students or at your job for you professionals or in your home for those of you who are trying to live for Jesus in your home and there's somebody there that's not tracking with the gospel, what do I do? Some of you have mentioned to me even recently about your concerns about local and federal governments like you sense that we're moving towards Acts chapter 4. What do I do? Well, I want to plead with you before we close to do two things. And we've considered all of this. We've understood that if you've been with Jesus, you're prepared. And we know that a transformed life is a powerful life. But we also know that sometimes, no matter what, The gospel is persecuted. What do we do? I want to give you, I don't want to give you two pieces of advice. It's it's more than that. I want to plead with you this morning. I want to plead with you to prepare for moments of life that are characterized by this scripture. I want to plead with you for two things. The first is to be with Jesus. I want you to understand you are not ready to face the people in authority if you haven't been with Jesus. And I don't think that it's an accident. I don't think that it's a coincidence that what marked the memory of these people in authority wasn't their eloquent speech. It wasn't their ability to perform signs and wonders and miracles. It was they acknowledged they had been with Jesus. I'm telling you, you are not ready to face Acts 4 like life if you haven't been with Jesus. Individuals, be with Jesus. Leaders of homes, make sure that your house has been with Jesus. I cannot overstress the importance of I plead with you to make sure that you've been with Jesus. And the second is to make sure that you have a transformed life. You know, sometimes we think 
that Christianity is about what we call in today's culture behavior modification. I'm a Christian, so I am going to stop this, this, and this, and I am going to do this, this, and this. It doesn't work that way. That's not what happened with this guy. He simply received the power of God. He didn't modify anything God did. And I want to say to you, with compassion in my heart, you cannot transform your own life. I know that's unpopular, but it's true. That is why Jesus came to earth, was to transform our life for us. Oh, my friend. Please make sure that your life has been transformed by the grace and the mercy and the power of God. If you've been here before, you know that I say that often. And often I say, please understand that an intellectual acceptance and belief in the existence of God doesn't transform you. Listen, even the devil believes in the existence of God. The power and the transformation comes when by faith you turn from leading your own life and saying, Jesus, by faith, I surrender to your lordship. That's where the transformed life happens. So how do we prepare for Acts chapter 4? Whether it be at home or with your friends at school or at your job or at the state government or the federal government, wherever you're sensing that, that people are trying to suppress the gospel, how do you get ready? You need to be with Jesus. You need to be in the presence of God. And you need to make sure that your life has been transformed. So that when you stand before whoever it is, they can look and see and have nothing to say. They will know that God has been at work in your life. Would you stand with me? I want for us to close with prayer. And I know that this is a tender, personal moment for so many of us. Because for a lot of us, this isn't a what if. This is the here and now. I want you to feel confident in this. That this body of believers, this little family of God that we call the fellowship, our position will always be do what you must, but we will never stop speaking of the truth of the gospel. And I ask you to internalize that and make that true for yourself. Father, I pray for discernment and wisdom because we feel like this is heavy stuff, God. This is big things. And we admit and and confess to you that it is uncomfortable to be opposed. We love when people are clapping when we say your name, and it's hard when people grit their teeth at us for being under the banner of Jesus. But with faith, 
And with boldness, God, we ask you to put us in the middle of darkness so the light of Jesus could shine through us. We know it's not an easy place to be. But just like you allowed Peter and John to stand in the midst of darkness and represent you, God, we pray for that opportunity. For some of the people in this room at this moment and for some of the people online right now, that's in their house, God. And we pray for strength for them and for compassionate love, for a desire to care for whoever it is that opposes them, but with joy and with excitement to never relinquish the light. For those of us who feel that at our job, I pray for the same thing. That you would send us to our jobs, not just to pay bills, but to change the world. And our transformed lives and our discerning, but yet clear and accurate speech would point people towards you. Father, we pray for our government, for both our local and our state and our federal government. And we pray that the fires of revival would blow through our governments. And we pray that we never get to the place where our governments would say to us, you cannot teach in the name of Jesus, but to the extent that they might prepare us to say, you be the judge, but we can't stop. Help us, Lord, to be loving. Help us, Lord, to be a blessing to the world around us. Help us to not run from the people who might oppose the gospel. Help us to love them well by remaining true to what is true. That is our request, God. And I pray over every one of my friends this morning here and online you would help us to do that this week we pray in the powerful and matchless name the name of Jesus the one who was rejected but is the cornerstone the one who was crucified but was raised to life the name of Jesus we pray amen amen and amen